I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus. We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity. We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling. We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre-made container. So join us for our meanderings as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with the Pastors, the podcast. We're going to keep delving into the book that Tim finished and talk about the kind of the next step in the conversation. But before we jump in, Tim, where have you seen God recently? I was going to share about my uh, cohort of fellow ministers. We meet monthly a group of us who are all kind of young dads in this general area just for support and sharing and that's been a space for God has come alive and as we are able to pray for one another and lift one another up even when we're away from each other and friends are important you know you can't do this thing on your own Audrey's smiling because she was like yeah you gotta create one of these (laughs) (laughs) I've been saying that for years have we been meeting for a year yet? I think so. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. And meanwhile, my group that was, we like to say that you're a daughter cohort because ours birthed. Oh, my. <laughs> Mine has been going on for almost a decade. And it just so happens that half of your group is the spouses of. Half. It's just two of us. <laughs> That's half. There's four of you. That's math. <laughs> Yes, I'm so glad that you have that group, because I, I know how beneficial it can be. <laughs> how about you, Audrey? Moving right <laughs> along, where have you seen God recently? I am involved in our local pantry that is run out of the high school that's right down the road, and we partnered with them in pandemic when schools closed down, but they still needed space to disseminate some food, so the Oakton Church provided that space, and ever since then, we've had a close relationship in terms of supporting that important program. Last year, I took on a specific role to support the pantry, me as an individual, and that I work with a local agency to make sure that the kids in the high school and the community members that utilize the pantry have access to menstrual pads. And, um, it's it's a really simple thing in that I'm the one that goes and picks up the donated pads each month. I bring them home and I repackage them into kits of, of a sort where it's a variety of different sizes of pads and then take them into the high school um, so that they have them when they do their food distribution each week. I started doing it because I needed someone, but also because when I was there for the actual distributions... I could tell how much this in particular was appreciated Mm. because it went above and beyond what is seen as quote unquote necessary to provide something that to me is a matter of dignity to give girls and women access to something that helps them physically beyond food. Mm-hmm. And so it does, it's not a whole lot of skin off of my back to do that monthly 
to be the one that picks it up, to, that sorts it and takes it into the high school. But I know every time I'm thinking about it I or working on it, I'm picturing those women that would come week after week to receive these things. I almost picture myself packing dignity in the bag for these mm-hmm. these women. And so that's that's an important part of my faith is the ways in which God sees each one of us. And I feel like I get to participate in that gifting of, of dignity yeah. and value yeah. in that moment. Well, today we're going to continue talking about Reorganizing Religion by Bob Schmitana, uh, who's a journalist for the uh, Tennessean, the newspaper in Tennessee, I think Nashville. He's also done articles in the Washington Post and many other newspapers around the country and brings a journalist perspective to kind of the 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 crumbling of the Christian institution. So last week we talked about the idea of where we stand as Christianity in this country and you heard some statistics and generally things were sounded bleak and declining and yet those who remain are committed and loyal and practicing their faith and uh, what are you going to do with those people (laughs) this week his second section is on why people are leaving the church so why are we experiencing this decline or who who are these people that are that are walking away and where are they going Uh, and the next week we'll talk about where where the church can go from here while we're holding the light, holding the fort down <laughs> in this meantime, what's on the other side, mm-hmm. right? When when Christendom has fallen apart completely, what's on the other side? Uh, what do we need to be ready to jump into building mm-hmm. or rebuilding or reorganizing? So why are people leaving? Well, his first answer is a pretty simple one. It's that people don't feel like they're being loved. <laughs> what? <laughs> right? No I mean, way. Yeah. Yeah, the church uh, has a track record here for a little while of uh, not being particularly loving towards one another, let alone loving towards people on the outside. Right. Um, it does. It's not just the outside. <laughs> right. We fight with each other. Yeah. Um, we've been fighting about human sexuality in our denomination for how many years? 40 plus now? Yeah. Right? And that's just like publicly fighting about it. Yes, right, yeah, <laughs> for eons really. But and, that, and that's one of the fights that many denominations are having. But we fight about all kinds of small things in local ways too, like who moved the altar, right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, just look at the minutes of any church that has to make a decision about what to paint a room. Right, exactly. Or, or the what carpet. curtains to hang. Yeah. <laughs> oh, even should we have curtains? Yeah, so the church not being loving. That is another thing accentuated by the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, people were not supportive of decisions that were made in various churches to closed down and there was varying opinions on what level of safety needed to be followed we were very fortunate at oakton ocean was the best yeah go oakton when you have a um epidemiologist in your congregation i feel like you know you're just gonna trust the expert (laughs) but yeah well generally i don't know there was an attitude of of trust right um when, that, when the when when the epidemiologist is also the vice chair of your deacons, you feel like they're holding yeah. with intention the knowing that we need to be together for the sake of our spiritual health, yeah. and that we also need to figure out how to be together not in physical ways because of our physical health. Yeah, yeah it just you you trust it more. Yeah, 
That's not to say it was perfect, but Oakton did really well. Really well. Really well. Other churches, they they fell apart during that season. I mean, people were leaving um, angry. Right. And, uh, and splits were happening or migrations. Yeah. So, yeah, number one, we haven't loved each other well enough. He's got tons of stories of people who found themselves on the wrong side of an argument and find themselves needing to church shop or just giving up. That's that's pretty common. He also outlines this uh, this concept of churches as they decline are more and more inclined to appeal to their base, protect their base. Yeah. And kind of this, this insular mindset of, okay, these are the people in my pews. I don't want to lose them. I'm going to give them exactly what they want. Right. Right. And so for the sake of self-preservation, we're going to ignore a whole bunch of other things. And spoiler alert, the ones that are there might be the reason why nobody else is. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, he talks about even though, I mean, denominations doing this, oh, right? Sure. You think about some of the, the sex scandals that have happened in uh, denominations. Absolutely. He talks particularly about Southern Baptists who really had a hard time owning up to mm. some of the sexual misconduct that was happening amongst clergy and and leadership for the sake of preserving the base we don't want to these people have loyal fans and right you really want to let's not call out injustice right yeah. let's let's preserve mm. this and and that's... to be fair that's not unique no that was just his example <laughs> yeah. yeah we do that all the time and maybe with things that aren't quite as scandalous too um mm -hmm. just give them what they want right right just let her win the argument mm-hmm for the sake of preserving that individual or that little community, well, what are we ignoring? Right. Um, I'm moving few, through a few of these quickly because I think they're pretty common kind of tropes that many of us understand. One whole chapter is called the, the Hamlet Problem, uh, and I want to read you this little nugget because I found this really interesting. He writes that church leaders like many of us often think they are the central actors on the stage and that everything happens in the plot revolves around the decisions that they make. It's as if the world is a Shakespearean drama and the church leaders are the main actor, and as a result, they focus on their own actions, believing that everything else will fall into place if they make the right decision or choose the right strategy or embrace the newest and most exciting megachurch trends. But churches, Packard says, who he's quoting, are not the star of the show, the play is unfolding around them. And to survive and thrive, they need to adapt to changes outside of their control. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? It reminds me of that phrase that you're always talking about, that the church is not the goal. Right. What? How do you say that? The church is not... The church does not have a mission in and of itself. It participates in the mission of Christ, which is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Right. So if we... if Christ maybe be being the main actor on the stage. Right. <laughs> that with or without this iteration of church, Christ is going to be the main actor on the stage. Right. And I think what this is kind of framed in a, or at least I'm reading it through the lens of this is negative, in that pastors go in thinking that they can kind of puppeteer a community and then realize that there's so much going on that they can't have right. control over um the the like positive side of that is yeah because it's not your church 
Right. It's Christ's church. Right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's not your responsibility to control it. That does not mean you don't lead it. Leading it and controlling it are two different things. Right. But you're leading it as a servant of Christ, right. the main actor. Right. Right. And that's that's a big difference. But if you fall into this mindset that my church is the central actor on the stage, then it's it's just fooling yourself right. into into following Be- and then, trends. And, and then you become an end and not a means. Right. It's yeah. about self-perpetuation at that right. point. And not about proclamation. And people can see that, oh, I yeah. think. People see through that. Whether or not they they know that they don't want that. I mean, sometimes they might see through that and think that that that's what they want. And so they are drawn to it. Sure. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a desire in faith to have someone that can tell you exactly the way it's supposed to be, mm. that it's very clear cut and um, no questions. There, there is that component of faith leadership that I think some people do actually flock to. But I think that's it only can f- fulfill a need in, in a certain time of life when things are going well or when you want to turn a blind eye to the things that are going bad. The, so the next thing that he brings up is this chasm between what he calls mini churches and mega churches mm. being one of the catalyzing reasons for people leaving or, or moving or shifting. Um, and... This was a really interesting statistic that he brought up that most churches are small churches mm. with like, I forget what he said, but an average of like 70 participants or something like that. But the average worshiper worships in a large church mm. of over 300 people, mm. right? Which just illustrates the mega churches are really big right? compared to the, the mini churches. In terms of... of- uh, involvement, like the overall population, overall population yeah. participation, right? And and so, how did this happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, he's pointing to what I what is I think is a reality that people from what used to be decent sized congregations that are now small mm-hmm. um, have migrated to mega churches. And so why have they done that? Well, his, he's pointing out anecdotally, I think, that a lot of people moving from minis to megas are folks that are burning out, mm. right? And they find themselves engaged in high levels because it takes everybody to run a church of 30. Right. When you only have that many people to pull from, you're going to be involved right. or you're not going to be in, in the church. Right. Those people feeling like they need a break they can go sit in the audience of a church of 5,000 mm. and be completely anonymous. Right. Not get asked to serve on a committee. Yeah. And <laughs> and if you've ever attended a large church, there's and I'm not ragging on large churches by any means. I mean, I think there's ways to do large churches that can be very effective for getting people connected into communities that, that matter and mm-hmm. are, are digging deeply while having kind of large scale worship and teaching moments right mm-hmm. there, there's a way to do this well but there's an easy way for you to be the fly on the wall yeah so he talks about people who go to visit 
a megachurch and are refreshed by the fact that nobody talked to me except for the person who was on the hospitality committee. Mm. The person whose job it was to shake my hand talked to me, but otherwise I could just go in and be, huh. hear the message and leave. And so for somebody, I mean, I'm thinking about the Church of the Brothers that I've served at, where you don't have too many of those people, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. you, you just don't. And so those folks needing a refresher find themselves there. Smetana, though, is kind of pointing out that that might create a little bit of, of an illusion that there is institutional vitality in some places, when really what's happening there is just a step closer to stepping away from church mm. rather than getting more deeply engaged in church. Mm. You got that play off of one another, and the smaller churches are going to get, I think the more consolidation you're going to you're going to see there. There's also just a little bit of a think of a cultural trend that people in contemporary America they want to just shop at Walmart and Targets, right, or Amazon. Yeah, um, I was going to say even even less than that, less commitment is to sit in your chair with your phone and right surf Amazon. Right, and that's I get that. You go you go to some shops and you uh, have to sort your way around a ma, ma and pop and have a dialogue exchange with an owner to order a part you need or whatever Let alone go to a mattress shop. Oh, man. Oh, Audrey's favorite salespeople. Yeah, and used cars. Are you comparing churches like ours to used car lots and mattress sales? To a degree. Oh! <laughs> Not oh. <laughs> Only in that we feel like the only way to draw people in sometimes is to sell yourself. Uh-huh. And that's not to say we like, feel bad about how small we are sometimes, and yeah. so we gotta feel like we gotta sell you or uh, something. Yeah, or, or just to say, here we need to immediately get you involved in this program, uh, and that's gonna show that you know we're a vital community. And I mean, finding finding a way for a person to use their gifts for the glory of God is an important part of I think the church. But I th we've talked about this before. It's easy for the church to tell the institutional story and not the faith story. Yeah. And so let me tell you about this mattress and all of the perks and bells and whistles that it has rather than, yeah. I know you need a mattress. What, what do you need to be able to sleep well? I mean, that's the goal of a mattress. And the goal of a church is to nestle you into a Christian community that that's can... It's going to nurture your faith. Yeah. And mutually that, that the faith of those that are there are impacted by the fact that you are there. Yeah. And so I'm not comparing it to the to the used car sales and that as an ideal as the, this is just you know we get consumerist sometimes and even how we try to sell ourselves to someone right and that we talk about the specs of our church <laughs> sure rather than telling the true story of a faith community and if you got to do that then maybe it is nice to sit auditorium someone as you said that sees numbers as the indicator of vitality it is yeah. easier to sell that to someone else to say like hey come to this church there's a bunch of people there yeah so clearly we've got something good going on right um and that that could very well be the case yeah but numbers is not the only indicator of vitality nope, the and church so, of 30 can be yes very vital yeah and you know i think that that's a western concept that numbers be the ideal. The, so the last big can of worms that he brings up for why people are leaving the church is the big political 
problem. Yeah. He and he talks about this as, in an interesting way. It wasn't it wasn't that long ago really at all where you could walk through a church's parking lot and see bumper stickers of opposing political candidates. Hmm. And those people... They were still going to church together. They could still worship together. They could still have other narratives in their lives that were shared. That's becoming increasingly rare. And it's sad and it's scary. So we talk about it as the purple. Yeah. The purple church. Red and blue make purple. And so there are churches that have Democrats and Republicans and independents (laughs) all worshiping God together because... (gasps) God is bigger than a political party, right? So the central image that Shmitana used was a story that was well publicized in Christian media. In our area. In our area, at least a few years ago, the McLean Bible Church, which is right up the road here in McLean, Tyson's Corner area, Northern Virginia, a big mega church um, who had just hired a new pastor. Some of you might know the name David Platt. He's a preacher and a Christian author, um, pretty focused on missions, church missions, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's out of the Southern Baptist uh, community. But So Platt was new to the church, and it was the years of, of Donald Trump in the presidency. And one day, on Sunday morning, Donald Trump came to McLean Bible Church um, out of a surprise visit and wanted to be prayed over during the worship service. And Platt doesn't get much warning notification of this. He's just uh, on that Sunday morning understands there's a motorcade coming. So what does a pastor do? (laughs) In what really was, uh, maybe not as much anymore, but was a pretty purple church, Mm. pretty diverse congregation. And Platt knows this. And here comes a political figure wanting to be prayed over. So what do you do? So he welcomes him up on the stage uh, and prays over him and chooses his words very carefully. He tries to not be partisan, but prays over him just like he would uh, with words that he could over any political leader or president. And the backlash was swift. And Platt writes a letter to his megachurch congregation explaining his rationale and actions and kind of the reality of the no-win situation here. Anything I would have done, some of you would have been mad at me for doing. And, you know, I I certainly have a, a measure of empathy for him. So the church after that, though, is split and divided and people leave, right? And the church that was McLean Bible Church just six, seven years ago is not the same anymore. And that's just a microcosm of what congregations have experienced all across the country. Uh, in these years of intense political divide. So why are people leaving the church? As we once upon a time were able to live in diversity, we are no longer. And so you may get people, they get upset because of being on polar opposites with other people and they just decide they it's too messy and they don't want to... Disengage. They just disengage. To disengage is a lot easier, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and maybe participate virtually in some somebody on YouTube or on radio or something that, okay, that's my wheelhouse. I'll mm-hmm. just I'll just do this yeah. instead. And often what happens then when we are not engaged in diverse communities is our beliefs are being reinforced and we're not actually growing. <laughs> yeah. We're not being challenged. And then, and then the question becomes, well, why is this even important? 
Why is a faith community where they're just saying everything I already believe? Why do I need to even participate? If I'm not growing, if I'm not being challenged, if I'm not actually having to be discipled, I can I can just sleep in on Sunday mornings. So even a homogenous community, I might decide, eh. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. This isn't doing enough for me anymore. Right. Hmm. And so both ends leave the church. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so these first two weeks talking about this book is really just laying out where we are, why people have left. Mm -hmm. But remember, his book title is Reorganizing Religion. So he's going to spend the first part deconstructing. This is, <laughs> and we already have deconstructed yeah. this thing, right? right? We've done it ourselves. He's just the journalist reporting how we've done it. Right. 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 And yet there is something about congregational life that is important enough to reorganize for another generation. We just got to figure out... What do we restore and what do we rebuild? Yeah. And I'm not the central actor in that rebuilding process. Or at least if we want it to be something that can stand for the next generation, we shouldn't be. That's right. So we'll go there next week. Sounds good. Something to be hopeful for. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us on our conversation today. You can reach out to us at Coffee with the Pastors Podcast at gmail.com to continue the conversation. But until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors. Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization. You can check out the following resource for more information, Reorganizing Religion by Bob Smetana.